When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to Amazon.com apply. That's Amazon.com apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, good whatever time it is of your day. Welcome to Potterooney, episode 63. Potterooney is brought to you by Jack Cody's Beer. Jack Cody's Beer. Oh, hello, and you're listening to my dogs running around barking at each other. And thanks for uh, tuning in. I want to say tuning in, but it's not tuning in, is it? It's subscribing and downloading in, in it. So, uh, yeah, this episode I'm going to be talking to Barry Glendening. You might know Barry Glendening if you're a fan of the Guardian football podcast with James Richardson. And uh, you might know him if you uh, listen to Talk Sport Radio with Max Rushton and Barry Glendening on Sunday morning. I was over in uh, London doing a gig in Camden and uh, I contacted Barry who did, did stand up many years ago and wrote for the Hot Press and uh, arranged to meet him on the Sunday morning and and uh, did a little spot on Talksport Radio, and then we went upstairs to a little office and had this chat that you're about to hear. Um, I've had uh, I was over in Glasgow last Friday doing a, a, a. I wouldn't say it was a gig. I wouldn't say that. I would say it was like an appearance in a pub in Malone's Bar in Glasgow. And then I uh, got up early next morning, flew down to London, had a lovely evening off with no gig. I met up with my brother and my nephews and one of my nephews' wife's. One, one, his, one of my nephews has a wife. He doesn't have just one. I'm saying one of his wives. And uh, we went to a lovely restaurant in London called the Orrery which I would highly recommend if you're in London. Go for the early bird menu. I don't know what area in London it is because I don't know London that well. So what I do when I go to London is I just uh, follow whoever's shown me around. I don't even keep an eye on where I am. But the orrery is O-R-R-E-R-Y, something like that. Anyway, an orrery, if you're wondering what an orrery is... It is a model of the solar system. 
and uh, the restaurant is really amazing. The food's great. Had a, a early bird menu. Had uh, three courses, but in between each course there were little tasters. Uh, really good and great wine menu. It's really foggy here. I'm going down by the Boyne River, as I do quite often when I'm doing the intros for this podcast. And today the fog hasn't lifted at all. Came down last night and hasn't lifted and it's eerie. Quite eerie. I wish you could hear fog. This is the sound of fog. Yeah, and quite nice, but cold. And my hand is holding the recorder, gloveless hand. And so uh, I uh, have a cold hand. That's what I'm telling you, I've got a cold hand. I hope you enjoyed last week's podcast with uh, Kevin McGarn and Carl Spain. I actually did a gig with Kevin McGarn last night in a little tiny little club called Mother Riley's in Rat Mines. Quite nice. Um, although I have a bit of a cold. You might, you might, can you hear of a cold? I have a blocked nose, I have a runny nose and it's running and blocked at the same time. And um, last night it uh, was very bad and I took two somethings. What the hell were they? They were uh, tablets anyway but did say you may may you may feel drowsy and i arrived into the club i thought oh yeah i'll have a little well i don't feel i won't feel drowsy it it might say you may feel drowsy didn't say you would so i arrived into the comedy club and uh i literally was actually falling asleep before i went on stage and i felt very out of it but i got through it a bit of adrenaline and a, a bit of uh of a panic as I before I went on thinking will I and I and I did kind of feel a bit drowsy on stage but I was fine and uh, Kevin was on as well and he was very good and Alison Spittle were on what a line up what a flipping line up and then Monday the Monday before that I did a gig in the uh, Cherry Pop the Cherry Comedy Club in Whelan's on a Monday night highly recommend that club as well and I was on with Patrick McDonnell and uh, yeah that was a good one too so it's been a nice little week of gigs and what have I got coming up oh I'm down in Lawler's Hotel for a Christmas dinner in Dungarvan in Lawler's Hotel on Saturday the 3rd of December come on down and the 10th of December uh, possibly the 9th of December. I'm in the Roisin Dove in Galway. If you're down that way, I shall be down there. Uh, that's all I can think of as far as gig- gigs are concerned. But uh, I'm sure there are things coming up that I haven't remembered. God, there's something floating down the middle of the river, but it looks like a... Oh, it's a fucking... It's a bag. I'm afraid it's a bit of plastic. I thought it was like a a little tiny iceberg. But it's... What what, what, is it a bag? It does look like a piece of snow floating down the middle. You know what? I think it's a piece of... Oh, my God. Hang on. It's... It's a bird. 
No, it's not. It's... I don't know what it is. Something weird is floating. Maybe it's a piece of foam. You know, like a piece of foam when the foam, the foam comes from the weir and and it gets all foamy. Maybe it's just a piece of foam. It isn't really weird anyway. I don't know. I bloody know. You can't bloody see it because you're we're on the radio, on the radio, on the podcast. So uh, okay, well listen. Uh, um, uh, I'll talk to you on the other side about uh, uh, general life. And uh, this is a lovely podcast with Barry Glendening. Uh, enjoy it and I'll see you on the other side Joe. Been a long time. I think it's nearly, I'd say nearly 20 years I've, since I've seen you. Uh, I would, yeah, probably is. 16 or 17 anyway. Yeah. Uh, you find me here in London. Um, yeah. oh, we're sitting in an office in Talksport Towers, weirdly. Uh, it feels like a job interview, actually, at a, a desk here. Slightly uh. weird. <laughs> we're in a very cold office yeah. in near Waterloo Station. Uh, I've just done my radio show with Max Rushton. You sat in for 20 minutes and listened to the lead singer of the Cockney Rejects basically monopolise the last 20 minutes with a rant about the state of West Ham Football Club. I, it was impassioned, to say the least. I thought it was brilliant, actually. <laughs> and I... I um, He's got a point because uh, I think it pro- probably a lot of football clubs are uh, you've got this kind of middle class kind of thing moving in and people just chatting during the football matches now. Do you it, not think it's like they're at the opera? But I, yeah. West Ham they've got this free stadium and they're whinging about it. it just goes to show, football fans are never ever happy with anything. But yeah. it, it is. I, I've not been to a football match there. I did go to the Olympics uh, in in the London Stadium as it's mm. now known and uh, yeah I, I could see how it wouldn't be very good for football but you yeah. didn't come to, to talk no, to me about but, West Ham um, Joe you recently I was doing a gig actually in Burr in the theatre in Burr recently and you actually you tweeted to me that I, well I got the name of the theatre wrong didn't I, I call it Oxmanstown it's Oxmantown isn't it Oxmantown Hall yeah. where I spent Oxman. many years of my youth uh, it used to be derelict and it being a theatre, obviously, it's it directly across the street, more or less, from the house I grew up in, where my parents still live. Mm. And for us young lads on Oxmantown Mall, it was a great place to play. Uh, you know, lot old rooms in this theatre. We, we used to break in through a, a back window, o- over a high wall with spikes, across a beam, in a window, and... Played, got up to all sorts of mischief in there, but uh, luckily someone had the the good sense to do it up, uh, completely refurbished it's this theatre, which was a mess. Was it? Uh, oh, it was like it, it was derelict. Um, yeah. In all sorts of disrepair, and it's a very nice building. It's a beautiful building. Georgian. It's a Georgian street, Oxmantown Miles. Georgian houses on one mm. side, trees on the other, and this is tucked away in behind the trees. 
And uh, yeah, I was I was chuffed to bits to see you were playing a gig there and suggested via Twitter that you should have gone over to Maglendening to ask for a cup of tea or a drink. Well, by the time I got your, saw your tweet, I think the gig was over. But I... Uh, I How did the good people of Burr treat you? It was pretty good, yeah. We had a mixed audience, some very old ladies. I got one of them up on stage and danced with her while I was wearing a pair of tights. But I think she seemed to enjoy it. <laughs> I really hope that wasn't my mother. No, <laughs> she goes to a lot of stuff in that theatre. Yeah, and uh, another famous man from Burr is Mundy. Of course, did you know, did you know Mundy growing up? I knew yeah. Mundy very well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I used to to when I was running wild and feral as a young a young boy. Uh, Mundy's older brother Niall was one of my pals. Oh yeah. Mundy's father ran a pub down the main street in Burr, so I knew Mundy well. He he probably won't mind me saying he was a, a wild child, a real tearaway, yeah. but very, very good fun. He's a very nice bloke. I haven't seen him in a long, long time. But I, I do occasionally uh, interact with him on Twitter, but yeah, he, he did really well for himself. Um, yeah, he's a lovely fella. I've done some gigs with him over in America, actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I did a gig in San Francisco, another one in New York. And at the Kansas City Irish Festival as well. I think I upset Mundy once by uh, saying that his music wasn't really my cup of tea. (laughs) And he he looked deeply hurt. Really? And I immediately wished I hadn't uh, opened my mouth. But the the point was, like, at the time I was kind of into Chemical Brothers... Primal Scream, Super Furry Animals, sort of loud guitars and stuff with with lots of bleeps and and mm. you know, uh, which which wouldn't be, you know, Monday can play a loud guitar all right, but the old electronica, I think he, I don't think he's embraced that. But, no, uh, now he, he's probably going to listen to this and get upset all over again. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, that was that was the time when a lot of this uh, Ireland was kind of bringing out a lot of singer songwriter types, wasn't it? It yeah. wasn't just Monday, but there was. Well, he the, uh, the international bar on Wednesday yeah. nights was responsible for a lot of musical success stories and indeed a lot of musical atrocities. Uh, yeah. I remember going along to see because when I worked in Hot Press many years ago. The international bar was our local, so sometimes we'd head upstairs for either to watch the comedy because it was comedy on on what Mondays and when Thursdays, no Mondays, Wednesdays, Mondays, and, uh, and oh yeah, Tuesday in, night was singer songwriter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you could see Paddy Casey and Glenn Hanser and Mundy, Damien Dempsey, all these guys, mm. and then a lot of other people who who didn't mm. go on to enjoy such stellar careers. But uh, yeah, it was always interesting. Some very earnest singer songwritery as well you know you, you you could see these people had suffered a lot of anguish as they wrote these haunting mm. uh, introspective ballads in the back of their mats copies and then went to you know bravely try them out in front of their peers uh, and you did you go up there and sit oh god no I, I couldn't sing it. I just we just went no along. I mean sorry you went along to have a look yeah oh yeah we'd go yeah, along to have yeah, a look yeah. and um, and it, was it difficult then to sit through the less Amazing stuff. Yeah, was, I mean, some of it was somewhere. comically bad. Yeah, <laughs> so bad it's good. Yeah, and then some of it was just you know average well, singer well, songwriter, and then some of it was really really good. Amazing. Yeah, I went up there for research reasons with Paul Woodfall because we weren't going to do maybe a character or a duo to parody of singer songwriters, but 
uh, we went up for a laugh, but then we saw Damien Dempsey, and he was he was just amazing. So, well, I'll, I'll be honest, I, yeah. I I was sort of coy in in admitting that some of us from Hot Press genuinely used to go up just for a laugh <laughs> because singer songwriter and I so earnest were some of the people there, you know, and haunted uh, that they were often their material was often unintentionally funnier Hilarious. than the comedians you might see the following evening. <laughs> so, I mean, going along to the comedy cellar as well, uh, mm. oft, sometimes, you know, I am i can't be the only person alive who, who goes to a comedy gig secretly hoping someone will Dies. die, mm. bomb terribly, because while it can be excruciating to watch it, it can also be slightly entertaining. And, and I have bombed as a comedian myself, so I know what it's like. As have I, and uh, and I still find incredible satisfaction in watching someone else. Tom. <laughs> and the thing is, it's funny because it's happening to someone else, <laughs> yes, and not to you. Yeah, that uh, no, was great. And and you know, as a comedian, that uh, there's nothing better than going on straight after someone who's been terrible. Because yeah. the audience just want you to succeed. They want you to be good. And it, they laugh at anything at that stage. So Absolutely. It's, it's a real confidence booster so, if you're going on after someone who's been dreadful. I know. It's, it's, it's amazing. They come off and you kind of pat them on the back and go, well done. And you're about to go on and kill it. <laughs> 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 but, um, so you, when you've grown up, your father's a vet, is this correct? Yeah. That is correct. My father yeah. is a, well, he's retired now. He's yeah. a, but he was a country vet in Borough, recently retired. Uh, mm. So yes, growing up, I spent a lot of time on farms with my uh, fingers up the noses of cattle while mm. my dad uh, tried to test them for tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. And then I had to take little blood samples from their tails. Uh, it was a very exciting existence. <laughs> so, spending most of my, my summer holidays at one end or the other of yeah. a cow. Because the finger in the two nostrils is a way of controlling a cow or a, a, a bullock or a bull, right? Yeah, well... I, I know they can... Ideally, you'd use a tongs. A but tongs? It, yeah, yeah. Kind yeah. of a, a steel tongs. Yeah. Uh, but it's... Just that's a bit it's just faffy. A, obviously, a sensitive area there. So it's easier if you just, you know, yeah. your, your middle finger and your thumb. Yeah. Get them up there, and you can pretty much, you know, an average cow is probably what half ton weight. Yeah. But you, you are in control if you've got. It's, you can, it's there, like yeah. testicles, basically. Uh, of a cow. Well, cows don't have testicles. Yeah, but, but it's yeah, the equivalent I'm, of. I mean, you their see, weak spot anyway. Yeah, I suppose they're kryptonite. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if I stuck. A thumb and a finger up your nose. A bit same. You probably wouldn't. You know, I'd I'd, I'd be pretty much in control of you. I, I can see why that isn't used as a self-defense technique. I must say, when you approached me with a view to having this chat, I wasn't sure that this was a, a bovine avenue we'd be exploring. Oh, I thought you were going to say when I approached you to do this podcast, you weren't sure if you were going to stick your fingers in my nose. <laughs> <laughs> Just say no, no, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay. No, I grew up in a farm. I, I know a bit about... Uh, oh, I didn't uh, realise you yeah. were uh, agricultural. Actually, yeah. and now remembering an old joke of yours, something about having a rural background. Yeah, I did some jokes about uh, the advertising for um, farming products. Remember, uh, have your cows got scour? Scour. And yours, 2220, you're the moxie hypertoxy. Anyway, but... Uh, <laughs> um, 
So, and then did you go to school in Burr? Did you go to a, to a boarding school or something? I did go to yeah. boarding school. Yeah. I, I went to national school in Burr and then I was mm. packed off to learn Irish in Ring College down in Waterford. Mm. And then... Ring College, yeah? Yeah, Rhino Goonock is mm. the Irish term. It's in the Gaeltacht to Ring. Um, it's Gaeltacht. It's about know, 15, 20 miles outside in Dungarvan. Mm. So uh, that... Yeah, learnt Irish down there and then went to the Cistercian College in Ross Grey, yeah. uh, which is a boarding school about 12 miles from Burr. And is so, that like, was that a tradition in the family that you No, go no, I'm, I'm yeah. the only boy. Uh, my, my older sister, I think my parents wanted to send her to boarding school, but she just refused to go. Yeah. And then they went, sent me and I think after seeing what a complete waste of money that was, they decided against sending my little sister anywhere. So, yeah, yeah. I, I took the bullet for the other two, right. my siblings. Um, yeah, Rossgrey, it's a boarding school. I mean, it, it, we've had uh, some some famous past students. I'm struggling to think of them now. Brian Cowan, the worst Taoiseach in wow. the history of yeah. uh, Irish politics. He, mm. he went to Rossgrey. Uh, who else? Yeah, mm. I'm sorry. I'm yeah, struggling. Okay. Dick Spring, another politician. Oh, he went to Rossgrey. Uh, I think Willie Mullins, the racehorse trainer, went oh, to right. Ross Grey. Yeah, he's a, he's a Ross Grey. I only discovered that quite recently, actually. Mm. And they're not usually slow in boasting about their famous alumni. Mm, but yeah. yeah, for some reason, I'd never heard about Willie Mullins, but he he went there. It's yeah. I, I, you didn't go to boarding school, did no. you? No, no. I mean, it's it was okay. I made a lot of very good friends. Uh, I'm still friends with them to this day. But I've never been to prison yet, <laughs> uh, but boarding school is a bit like what I imagine prison must be like. It's, you know, mm. bells, keys, locked doors, uh, this is when you eat, this is when you sleep, this is when you exercise. Mm. You know, you literally have an exercise yard. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, so while I wouldn't say my five years in Ross Grey were sort of reminiscent of Oz, you know, it wasn't... Yeah. Uh, there, there's a culture of bullying in boarding school, at least there was when I was there. Mm. I don't know if there still is. And, yeah, you you get sort of forced to play rugby when you may not necessarily want to. Yeah. And uh, But, you know, I, I think it, I, I came out of it probably a reasonably well-rounded individual. You, you learn to look after yourself in boarding school. So uh, if if you don't, you're 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 dead. You're finished. <laughs> so yeah, you have to learn quickly how to fight your own corner and look after yourself. Uh, so in that regard, it was good. Uh, I, yeah, I wouldn't recall it as a particularly wonderful time in my life. But as I say, I did make some good friends there, and uh, some some of the guys that I that I was there with, they absolutely loved it. Others mm. hated it. Uh, didn't finish or quit or kept running away until their parents took them out. And I would have been mm. sort of somewhere in the middle, in the middle. where I did, didn't particularly like it, but I was happy enough just to put up with it, you know. And was there a heavy... Uh, did, were they into sport, but they wanted you to partake in sport? And, uh, well, in it's a funny one. When I was there, they, they were always sold themselves as a big rugby school. Yeah. But they never actually won the Leinster Senior Cup which is the holy grail of schools rugby mm. uh, now I should explain Ross Grey technically is in Tipperary which is Munster but the actual school of Ross Grey is all in within County Offaly 
hence mm. it used to enter the Leinster uh, Senior Cup competition. They had never won it. I think they won it for the first time two years ago. Mm. So they're good now. Uh, they, they won it two years ago. They got to the final, but they always had a better hurling team. The, the, the hurling team was invariably more successful than the rugby team, but hurling was very much the second-class sport. Uh, I didn't particularly enjoy playing rugby. Uh, I enjoyed playing it when I was a kid, but I, I always preferred just playing soccer. Yeah. Um, and and that wasn't a sport. Well, they were. Th- there wasn't officially a sport. We used yeah. to just organise our own leagues and our mm-hmm. own teams. Like, we were always agitating, can we have a soccer team? And uh, we weren't allowed, which I thought was unfair. Mm-hmm. But the rugby was good because Ross Gray is kind of unique. Most, if you you hear about Leinster Schools Cup, mm. you you think Ross O'Carroll Kelly. It's all Gonzaga, yeah. Terranure, St Mary's, Belvedere, Black Rock, Clongos. These quite compared to where I was in Ross Gray. You know, they used to think we were a shower of muck savages. Like they, yeah. And you could almost see the the contempt on their faces when they arrived down to play us. The the posh boys from Terranure. Clongos or Black Rock getting off their team bus and just looking around with this look of just distaste. And the Ross Gray School was basically surrounded by the the monks in the or the monastery there who run it. Um, they have this massive, massive farm. So you know there'd be cattle, a, a ripe smell of manure in or silage <laughs> in the air, and yeah. yeah, these these guys down from Dublin did not fancy it one bit, you know. So I, I was, I would be intrigued to to see how they took uh, having their backsides handed to them by Ross Gray two years ago, you know, because I, I remember when Ross Gray were in the final and my mum was texting me updates and I'm kind of going like. I don't, I don't really care whether they win yeah. this or not. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, part of me, even though I, I don't recall my time there particularly fondly, a part of me really did want them to win yeah. just to beat those jackies. So it would be like the equivalent of a London team going out on a wet winter afternoon in Sunderland or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, Ch- Chelsea getting beaten by Burnley or something, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Actually, come to think about it, wh- why did you start following Sunderland? What was the... Uh, well, my father's a Sunderland fan, and mm-hmm. he started because uh, when he was taking an interest, um, they had this player called Charlie Hurley, who's mm. a famous Irish international, and uh, played in Sunderland, still lives in Sunderland, as far as I know. He's mm-hmm. quite elderly now, I think. Um, one of my colleagues interviewed him a couple of years ago. And uh, Sunderland's training centre is actually named after him. Uh, mm. That's the high regard he's held in. So, you know, people kind of think Niall Quinn was the most famous Irishman to, in Sunderland, but Charlie Hurley was there long before him and, and I think made an equally good impression. Mm. So, yeah, it was just because just of my dad, because uh, he follows them. Um, right. I kind of got it from him. So, yeah, thanks for that, Pops. <laughs> <laughs> well, my memory of Sunderland's went. My brother was a Leeds fan, and uh, the FA Cup final that uh, ah, yes. they beat Leeds, which was unbe- it was an unbelievable match. I mean, it's like Leeds were just peppering the goal. With the I, I don't remember and, uh, that that game, Joe, because I was I think mm. three months old when it was right. played. Yeah, yeah. Um, nineteen seventy three. But recently, a few years ago, I, as a Christmas present for my dad got the DVD of yeah. the 73 Cup Final 
got it off Amazon or something for a tenner, brought it home, gave it to him. And my dad, see, he, he doesn't get too excited about, you know, you have, if you get him something expensive, a, a gift, he'll, you know, give out to you because you spent too much money on him. Mm. If you get him something cheap, he's... Well, it's cheap and he's not that fussed. <laughs> yeah. But his, you know, his eyes genuinely lit up when he saw this straight into the DVD player, and we were watching it. And I can't, I won't like that. Some of the tackles, yeah, going in at the start of that game. Not, you know, nowadays, not only would you get sent off, you'd get like a three-month ban. Yeah. <laughs> Really? You would possibly get sent to prison. <laughs> yeah, really, yeah, yeah. For some of the tackles that were going like and th- these were just absolute brutality. Yeah. And uh yeah, so com- the the game now is just been so sandra. I'm not saying these are necessarily good a good way of going but bloody hell it was entertaining, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Just to watch that old school 70s football where it you know, I'm amazed players were able to have careers of 10 or 12 or 15 years because you know obviously if you did your cruise ship back in those days that was it You're game over finished. Uh, and you know and yet like you see like Johnny Giles is meant to be the hard man but actually he's small he's a small enough well I think man. he was quite hard but he, he yeah. Norman Hunter wasn't he that he was oh, the, right, yeah. the and then you Billy Bremner but yeah that was a huge that, that was probably at the time the biggest Cup shock in FA Cup history because yeah. some of them were in the second division. Yeah. They weren't doing particularly well in the second division, mm. and Leeds were this all-conquering first division team who everyone thought would absolutely swat them aside. Mm. And then you the the scenes at the end where um, Bob Stoko, the Sunderland manager, ran on and he was wearing like black shoes, red tracksuit bottoms, a, a brown raincoat, like a kind all of right. dirty Mac raincoat. And, <laughs> And a trilby hat. It was just interesting attire, and he did this famous run across the the Wembley pitch, oh, which has yeah. now been sort of ca- cast in bronze, and uh, is outside the Stadium of Light uh, up in Wearside. And I I had to write an article about Sunderland a few weeks ago, when it, you know before they won either of the two matches, they got one recently, yeah. and you know everything was very grim indeed. And uh, I, I just mentioned in the piece that the way Stokoe's run is captured in this bronze statue, it looks as if he's running away from the horrors that are unfolding <laughs> in the stadium behind him. You know? <laughs> uh, things have picked up slightly now. T- two wins yes. on the board and didn't disgrace themselves against Liverpool. So, you know, that's something to build on. No, I, not, not disgracing I, yourself against I Liverpool. I would have faith in, in David Moyes. I'm sure they, he'll They were actually in a worse position this time last year. I think they had two points fewer mm. and, and managed to stay up. So I will see how it goes. Mm. You know, I'm not going to get too upset if they get relegated anyway. Not, not like uh, our Cockney rejects friend who... He was... I, I'm not sure I could ever care that much about any sporting event or you know any team oh really I'm surprised that yeah I'm like that I wouldn't I wouldn't let it upset my day if no. you know but because uh, we, we had that. Will Meller on the show as well mm. and he, he said that he's a huge Manchester United fan Will Meller the actor and uh, he, he's the most I, I don't think I've ever heard um, 
anyone speak as passionately about Manchester United as he did. But he said... He was talking about the Arsenal Man United yeah, match. It ruined his ruined day. his night with his wife, wasn't it? Yeah, his he, wife, his wife had dinner. to basically snap, tell him to snap out because he was in a big sulk because yeah. Arsenal got a, good, a late equaliser. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll sit in a stadium and quietly seethe if, say... Uh, off, you know, Offley Hurling was, was the big thing I followed at home. Mm. Um, but I... You know, I've, and I have a pal from Burr, uh, Luckers, who gets very, very upset at hurling matches. And Offaly are obviously not very good these days, mm. uh, having been a force who occasionally won things. Um, those days are long gone, sadly. But uh, yeah, while Luckers will be going absolutely apoplectic at games, whether it's in Croke Park or Ennis mm. or O'Connor Park or wherever, I just sort of sit and seethe. And then once it's over, go and have a few pints and forget about it yeah. well I, I can sympathise with someone going nuts at the match and I think that's good actually oh, yeah, to, get, to get a bit riled <laughs> at the match but then once it's over it's over yeah. it's like it's like your little bit of therapy yeah. for the week you know I remember <laughs> uh, myself and this guy Luckers Alan Lucknan is his name and a couple other lads for reasons I'm, that remain a mystery to, the, to me to say we went down to the hurling field in Burr to watch Offaly play Kildare mm-hmm. in a league match now I didn't even know Kildare had a hurling team <laughs> to be honest but apparently they do yeah. and they were in Burt so the lads call it we're going down to the field to, to watch Offaly something to do so we went down and there's probably more players on both benches subs than there are spectators yeah. and uh and for a while, it looked as if, you know, league, no one really that fussed about it. Uh, but for a while, it looked as if Offaly might actually suffer the ignominy of losing to Kildare in a hurling match, which, you know, that would be bad. Mm. And uh, I remember my, my mate Lockers getting so upset, shouting at the players, oh, I'm in no fucking pride and blah, blah, blah. Where's he? You're not fit to wear that shirt. But like, because the ground was so empty, they they could all hear him, and then you know there'd be players looking over, going, you know, putting their hands up to their eyes to make a mental note yeah. of who, who's shouting that at me, so I can get them after. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we were leaving the the ground at the end of the game. Mm. Awfully turned it around, and uh, yeah, the players are walking from the pitch back into the dressing room, so they have to kind of walk behind the stand. And uh, <laughs> we're trying to sneak lockers out before any of them lynch him for shouting abuse at them during the game. Yeah. So, you know, uh, if you're going to shout abuse, at least, you know, find the sanctuary of a crowd that you can hide in. <laughs> shout into your pocket. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and this, so when you left uh, school, did you go straight into UCD? Was it UCD you went yeah, to? Yeah, I went to yeah. UCD yeah. Uh, yeah. to do art because I did a pretty mediocre leaving cert. Mm. Uh, I wasn't the most studious young man in the world. I just always had a problem studying things I've no interest in, mm. like maths or, uh, you know, I, I'm quite, I was quite good at Irish, but mm. in, in Ireland they, they managed to make it's such a dull subject with this awful literature. I don't know, you know, peg. Peg sayers. Oh, yes. Christ. Um, so, you know, they didn't, that didn't really interest me. And I, I liked English and uh, that was basically it really, to be honest. Science, that wasn't really sciencey. I did economics, absolutely hated it. Um, so, yeah, I don't have much interest in business or, or 
you know, I liked history, English, that kind of thing. French was okay because mm. I had a really, really good French teacher who made it very interesting. Um, yeah, I went to UCD to do arts. Just, and because I think I'd left boarding school where everything was very strict and regimented, mm. suddenly you're in university and it's like, so this lecture's on and I don't have to go <laughs> if I don't want to. Or yeah. I, I don't have to do this essay. Yeah. Or I don't have to read this book. So I just, okay. Yeah. Uh, I was incredibly immature, you know, and I, mm. I'm laughing now, but I did, I wasted a lot of my parents' money uh, on the two years I spent in UCD doing absolutely nothing, you know. Uh, and then, yeah, so I, I dropped so out. So you actually dropped out? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I could have repeated it a year, but just, it was a waste, a waste of time. I, I right. wasn't very interested in what I was doing. So uh, yeah, and then where you, you start writing uh, journalism, um, or the, how where, you ended up in hot press, but where's the? Yeah, the, the, well, I was kind of knocking around Dublin, just on the dole, yeah, messing around, doing not much, and uh, I remember I went to the cinema one day on uh, was it the is it Carlton on O'Connell Street, the one beside the the Westbury Hotel or whatever? Uh, the Savoy. Savoy. Beside, anyway, yeah. doesn't matter what what it's called. Yeah. Uh, and I came out and I went into a news agent's to buy fags or something, and yeah. there was a copy of Hot Press. I just saw Hot Press on the rack. I knew Hot Press because my sister used to read it all the time, uh, but I, I wasn't much of a reader of it myself. Mm. And uh, for some reason, I bought uh, a copy. I think. If I'm not mistaken, the fun-loving criminals were on the cover. I don't know why I remember that, but I think they were. And uh, I uh, bought it for whatever reason, read it, and there was a journalism competition they were running in conjunction with, uh, you've probably been on uh, the Beatbox. You remember Ian Dempsey's Sunday yeah. morning show? Yeah. Yeah, right. so uh, they were running a, a journalism competition in conjunction with that. So you had to basically review an album or a single or a gig mm. in 300 words and they would have two winners each fortnight who would you know go on the beatbox on consecutive Sundays and present this review mm. and uh, so I think there were 12 or 18 people yeah. all together and then one overall winner uh, got a laptop computer which at the time was super high. To, you know, I'd never even seen a laptop, I think, at that stage. This were, we're talking about, what, early 90s, I think? Mm. Uh, yeah, we'd been around 93, 94, maybe. Mm. And uh, so I, I wasn't much of a muso head, but I reviewed, um, the at the time, the Pope was saying Mass in Manila in front of four million people. Oh, yeah? So I reviewed it as if it was a rock concert. Yeah. And uh, Liam Fay, the the former hot press writer, I think he's at the Sunday Times now in Ireland. Uh, he he was obviously gleefully anti-Catholic and wrote a lot of articles ripping the Mickey out of the Catholic Church. So I think he was one of the judges. So I suspect he took a shine to my particular review, and I ended up winning winning the competition. So I got a laptop, um, and. Uh, I think it was 500 quid, which, you know, was like winning a million pounds for me at the time because I was skint. Mm. And uh, the third part of the prize was to a commission to write four articles for Hot Press. Mm. So I did them. And then they kind of offered me a job. 
And right. So, yeah, I used to, as you you remember, I'm sure, run the comedy pages. You know, I, mm-hmm. I was in charge of editing the comedy section in yeah. there, and I used to interview a lot of comedians when they were trying to publicize gigs. Like, I remember one of my first interviews was with Eddie Izzard. I was a real comedy nerd at the time. Mm. And... Uh, so I, I always knew who was coming into town and who I used to go to the international bar and watch the the comedy seller a lot an awful lot because it was you know a cheap fun night out mm. pay a couple of pounds on the door or whatever mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah so and I think well, well the fact that I had had my finger on the comedy pulse and not many other people in the office did with it was one less thing for if we if we just let Barry look after all that then mm. it's one less thing we have to worry about and it's another two or three pages a week filled and this so, would have been at the time when say what Dylan Moran was starting uh, maybe, Dylan, or no Dylan would have been pretty established got, okay Jason Byrne uh, perhaps or Jason Byrne was get, starting to make through. a name for himself mm. John Henderson yeah uh, uh, yourself and Paul Tylak, I think, were already on TV. You were the yeah. squad. By then, you would have been, yeah. Yeah, been. yeah. yeah. Um, but, and, uh, so Barry Murphy, obviously, was, was the big godfather. The godfather of, of Irish comedy. As, as <laughs> you were obliged to refer to him, I'm sure he still hates it. Yeah. Uh, yes, the... Uh, who else was around? But you weren't in the hot press at the same time as Graham Lennon and Arthur. No, they would have moved on by no, then. No, they. Right. I think they'd yeah. not long gone. Yeah. Because um, right. yeah. uh, I reckon if Graham had still been there, I wouldn't have got my job. And I'm in no way comparing myself to Graham Lennon. It's just we kind of had similar-ish fields of interest. Yeah. And he was much better at doing things than I was you know uh, these were back in the days before he was the Lord Mayor of Twitter oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. so you know um, yeah he, he, him and Arthur just sort of they were in London I think they were writing for Alexis Sale and yeah the uh, Paris was the sick yeah I never thing. actually saw Paris I think I saw one episode. I I I haven't. It didn't go. It was sort of panned, didn't wasn't it? Go well didn't go well. And then uh, they did bits for various other shows. And then then Father Ted obviously yeah. came along, and that was the thing that made big stars of them. But you were a big fan of Seinfeld, correct? I love Seinfeld, and they they are huge fans of Seinfeld as well. So I remember when I was staying with them, and they just watched episode after episode after episode. Right. Yeah. yeah well, I I yeah I, yeah, I love Seinfeld. Um, mm. If if I could only watch, you know, if I was on a desert island and I was allowed a box set, it would be Seinfeld. Mm. Because you can just watch episodes over and over again. You constantly find new things that yeah. I hadn't seen before. And I, I just big, never get sick of watching them. Big inspiration for Father Ted. I know they're very different, but I think they just took the format of how to write a sitcom from watching Seinfeld. Do you know what I mean? I to, yeah, well, the, yeah. I mean, the whole... Or I mean, and, and t- talk, talking about sitcom writing technique is probably not the most interesting thing in the world. But the, the Seinfeld, you'd always have three different storylines that get yeah. cleverly woven Which is together in the end. Really hard to write. If I you, would imagine it's yeah. bloody impossible. I've never tried to write a sitcom, and I probably won't at this stage. But and also, uh, I think even the characters, the four major characters in Seinfeld, they've got the four major characters in Father Ted. One's the real physical one, like Father Jack. Yeah. And then you've got the Seinfeld as Father Ted, you know. And yeah, and Mrs. Um, Doyle obviously is Elaine. 
Well, the only thing is Dougal's not really No, you George. wouldn't say there's an there's, there's no George. There's no innocent character, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, the thing about Seinfeld is mm-hmm. like they're all thoroughly unpleasant individuals mm. uh, collectively and individually. But uh, yeah, it works. I mean, it's just fantastic. It's amazing. And then you, so as part of that, you you wrote an article uh, uh, about doing stand-up. This is how you started in. Yeah, I, I was mm. given the gig at an editorial meeting, Hot Press, one day of, well, I, I just suggested, wouldn't it be a good idea if someone did a stand-up gig and mm. wrote what the experience was like? I mean, everyone's bloody done that article or that feature now at some stage or other, but I think at the time no one had done it or if they had I wasn't I hadn't seen it or wasn't aware of it and uh, yeah all eyes turned to me so and basically I, I got in touch with I think it was Alex Lyons was running the okay, yeah. Mad Cow all these blasts from the past come back to oh, he was running he was involved the cellar I, I ran the Mad Cow but oh yeah. it must have been you then was it me must have been because it was the Mad Cow oh right, well that was me then alright sorry <laughs> <laughs> I humbly apologise. Yeah, yeah, because there's a photo at home in my my parents' living room of me performing, like a pint in one hand. I like Bernard Manning. I've got a pint Uh, in one hand, a fag in the other, and the mad cow, the cross-eyed cow backdrop. Oh, okay. Uh, So it was definitely the mad cow, because I think that was my first gig. And, uh, yeah, it went really well. So I I thought, oh, this is great. I'll, I'll do another one. So I did the second one, obviously, that was hideously bad because I thought, oh, this is easy. <laughs> well, it, that's fairly common, I think, that the first gig you'll do is is great because you're really up for adrenaline and then you get overconfident for the second one. Yeah, it was probably because a lot of my material at the first one was plagiarised from other comedians, oh, right. whereas okay. <laughs> the, the one yeah. at the second was all my own work. <laughs> okay. uh, but uh, yeah, and then so I just I quite enjoyed it. I really did enjoy it, and I mean it's the, the for all the bitching and carping and backbiting and uh, that went on, the the com- comedy community in Dublin was you know quite a welcoming place you know was it for you yeah I thought I've so there was no like nobody going a bloody journalist one trying you know yes there was was there yeah yes. I'd say there was. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, there definitely was, yeah. Uh, hello, Barry. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. Yeah, I don't no. think Barry approved too much. Barry Barry never really warned me. I like Barry. I think he's a great comedian, but mm. I think yeah, I don't think he, he was too happy. And uh, I, re- I remember once um, I got booked to do a little spot on, uh, there was an AIDS Alliance Charity yeah. gig yeah. on in the Temple Theatre, I think it was, right. and every comedian in Dublin was was uh, sort of on the bill. And I think Craig Charles from Red Dwarf yeah. was was head top of the bill. And uh, yeah, I, the the person who booked me to do it, I, I won't say who it was, uh, but it was a, a Dublin comedian. Um, they said, oh, do you, do you want to do this? And I was real chuffed to be asked. So I said, yeah, yeah, grand. And sort of hung up the phone and then thought, oh. I, I, I rang them back and, and said, uh, sorry, I, I forgot I, how long do you want me to do? Mm. And they said, oh, just five minutes. And I said, okay, grand, yeah. And uh, 
then the person in question rang me back like about 20 minutes later and just ranted and raved at me because I was, you know, how dare I ring and sort of demand a a big long slot when I'd only been doing comedy for, for, you know, a wet weekend. And, uh, you know, I think they're just a complete misunderstanding, but I think they thought the the cocky journalist was... was, um, uh, making extravagant demands and that I expected to be, you know, just below Craig Charles on the bill and doing a half hour when, when in fact, you know, I had just about got five minutes yeah. of material. But uh, yeah, it was a weird one. But then going out on in, on the stage of the Temple Theatre and in what would have only been my probably, like I think my fifth fifth ever gig was at So You Think You're Funny in Edinburgh. So I, I, you know, I, it was hard to get stage time at the time because I think at the time, every single twenty-something-year-old man in Ireland wanted to be a stand-up comic. So and there was a limited number. There wasn't many gigs. There's only one in Dublin, maybe. Uh, well, there was the, the Laughter Lounge, and there was oh, the well, Cellar, was and then, was it? Yeah. but still, yeah, like, it was. It was hard to get opportunities. Mm. But it's not uh, like if you're in London, you probably gig every night or something. Yeah. Well, I I found it hard enough, like because mm. I came over here to London to try and make it as a stand-up, and uh, it. <laughs> Well, weirdly, one of my best mates now, who I didn't know at the time, uh, I met him through through Darrow Breen. He's, he's Darrow Breen's sort of tour manager slash agent, uh, guy Damon. He works for Off the Curb, this big comedy agency here. If I'd known him when I come over here, I'd have been <laughs> quids yeah. in. But sadly, I met him long after I'd stopped doing gigs. But uh, yeah, in London, it was tough to get going. You, you could get open spots, but you know it would be in four months' time. Oh, okay, okay. And then if it didn't go particularly well, which some of mine didn't because I wasn't particularly good uh, and didn't really put in any work, then you might not get asked back for right. another six weeks. So I think, you know, people like Dylan and Ed Byrne who were really successful and, and much better than I was, they, I think, they, and Ardle as well, yeah. they got on on the ladder pretty quickly. Right. But I think Ardle had really developed his act before he went over as well. Yeah. I'm not saying he had, but no, I was, I was crap. I mean, well, I was very, very mediocre at best. <laughs> <laughs> and what, but were you writing still? You were still writing for the Hot Press while in London? I, I was work, writing everything? for Hot Press. Uh, and then, you know, financial necessity. I, I, did, I worked in a bookies for a year. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I started getting shifts at the Guardian newspaper they were sort of getting the website going mm. and uh so there was i did regular freelance shifts there and I, after an ill-fated uh tour of um sort of exeter barnstable and down down that neck of the woods with the famous australian brendan burns mm. i decided the life of a comedian was not for me <laughs> This was, this was Brenda Burns in the days before he turned the corner and given up the booze and, and the drugs and yeah th- it was an so eventful weekend. You mean uh, it was just too hardcore for you? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I, I wasn't able to, to handle it. I yeah. thought if this is what it's like, I, I'm just not enjoying this. And uh, I mean, Brenda's a lovely guy, but and we had a mad weekend on the lash. But I was just thinking, no, I can't, can't be doing. It was sort of getting to the stage where I had to decide, you know, 
it, it wasn't I, I wasn't able to make it pay so and I preferred doing the journalism stuff so uh, I, I just uh, got offered a job then full time with the Guardian so went for that and just jacked in the comedy so I think the last gig I ever did was I it was <laughs> I was just getting certain because I was just starting to get going at Jonglers you know I was doing getting paid gigs from Jonglers mm. and I I the last gig I ever did was I compared the Comedy Cafe on a, a Saturday night Comedy Cafe. And was, you know, that's a pretty big gig. So mm. I was just when I was starting to get going, I just say, oh, bloody hell, I, I don't want to do yeah. it anymore. So I uh, went into the journalism and, yeah. Uh, so now I suppose my, my outlet for performing, if that doesn't sound too poncy, is... We we do the football weekly podcast on the Guardian and and uh, myself and Max Rushton, uh, mm. formerly of Soccer AM fame, now of Fantasy Sky's Fantasy Football, we do a radio show on Talksport every Sunday morning. So you know I still get to pontificate, which is yeah always been very important to me. <laughs> no, and it's great. I love the football uh, podcast from the Guardian, and that's when I started. Because I really, I didn't know what you were at, to be honest. And then you, I started listening to this and go, fuck, that's Barry Glendening. Yeah, well, there's <laughs> no reason why you would have known what it was at, you know. So, um, yeah, well, I, it seems to be quite popular. I mean, the, the appeal is James Richardson because he's uh, just a brilliant host and he's very funny, he's very knowledgeable. Uh, and I think as well... We were one of the first, I mean, everyone does football podcasts these days, you know, uh, fans do them, most newspapers do, most magazines do them, and, you know, Gary Neville has his own podcast, and the, all the, the five live football programs and talk sport programs get yeah. turned into podcasts, but at the time, we were among the first. I think there was us and this gang of lads called the Football Ramble, who are just a gang of mates who love football. Yeah. Uh, and I think that was about it. I think th this was 2006. Right. Uh, so, yeah, we were kind of lucky that we were among the first in the door. Uh, and people seemed to like it. And, yeah, now, now we do live shows. People actually pay money to come and watch us talk about football, which I must say I find... It's... You know, I'm very grateful they do, but it's just weird. You know, going, there's no, you're in a theatre and there's there's no scripted material. There isn't even a smoke, smoke machine or a backing band or anything. Yeah. And people have paid money just to come and he, listen to us talk garbage about, you know, West Ham's back four or Daniel Sturridge's need for a move elsewhere but you know we don't take it too seriously and we try to keep it entertaining and funny but and I think hopefully that's what people like I think it's brilliant I mean I'm a fan also of of, of sec second captains as well and yeah and, I like second captains kind of I'm, I'm quite matey with Ken Early he's, he's I've, yeah. I've recently actually become known something uh, someone this morning described me as a pound shop Ken Early which I thought was no. uh, very honour <laughs> quite an honour uh, but yeah Ken's like super intelligent super smart and very clearly incredibly well read which I'm probably not uh, but yeah he's, he, Second Captains is, is a good podcast I, I try not to listen to it too often um, because you, you sort of end up sim 
by symbiosis, sim- symbiosis, yeah, you know, soaking up, and you might suddenly find yourself giving the same, same opinion, opinion as Richard yeah. Sadler or something. So I um, try and keep sort of two or three weeks behind schedule. So but when, like, when your podcast, uh, the football Guardian podcast, came out, and then when they before second captains, they were on News Talk, and I went, mm. "This is great because it's lads just." like myself talking about football like because you you'd seen so much maybe of the RTE coverage or going way back the Jimmy Hill type coverage where it was just very or when they'd be very uh, shocked by a bad tackle as if it was oh it was <laughs> do you know what I mean that it was it was a really po-faced kind of uh, yeah well I mean I suppose Badeen Skinner did the oh, absolutely did the irreverence yeah, yeah with perhaps, fantasy football yeah, which yeah, yeah. A, lot, a lot of people didn't like it. I, I always loved fancy football. Do you remember the reaction to Cantona's uh, kicking of a fan? Yeah. When I saw that, I thought, that's fucking amazing. <laughs> you know? But the coverage of it was like... Very pull-faced should, and sanctimonious. Should, We've had you know. the same recently, I think, about Wayne Rooney going to this bloody wedding where he got pissed, you know. Yeah. And I couldn't, genuinely couldn't see what the big deal was. Obviously, it's not ideal for a professional athlete mm. to be getting absolutely smashed on red wine you know in the middle of the season when he's not playing well yeah and apparently it's it's not an isolated incident with as far as Wayne's concerned but some of the sanctimony coming from various commentators and I I think most fans didn't really care but a lot of journalists and commentators got very upset about it as well and you know some of them I I happen to know for a fact are complete pissheads themselves Mm. But, you know, and, and Ken Early, we, we, who we're talking about, he wrote a very good column in the Irish Times saying anyone who has ever drunk, smoked or taken drugs is not entitled to uh, criticise Wayne Rooney. And he's dead right because, mm. you know, they're saying, oh, well, you know, he, he's not fulfilling his potential. But then, you know, if I go and get smashed the night before I have a day's work in The Guardian then I'm not going to fulfil my potential either. Although I would argue, if I'm hungover at work, I do try harder because I'm aware of the fact that... So you're probably over... <laughs> yeah, overcompensating. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, and then, like, the uh, era of football that we grew up watching, they were all drinking and smoking. Well, not yeah. all smoking, but, I mean, there's Billy Bremner with the fag and all that. and uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, but... John Cruyff, obviously. Yeah, I don't think you could get away with that these days. No, but at the same time, there might be something to be said that we don't want if football turns into just a, a load of super athletes who are strong and fast where's the skill in the game going to, you know the skill mm. in the, well I mean uh, yeah I mean I, uh, like, you look at rugby for example I used to play rugby when I was God, I started I think when I was about seven played till I was 15 I wasn't particularly good mm. at it but I watch rugby matches now and Say I was watching the England-Argentina game yesterday. Uh, it's just a different sport mm. to what I used to play. Because when I was playing, you, there was room for everyone in the rugby team. The small, fat lad, you, are, you can be hooker. Another, yeah, you're a prop. You're about the big, lanky fella, skinny fella. Yeah, in the second row, locking the fast guys out in the backs. And now they're all six foot four. They're all built like brick shit houses. Yeah. They're all fast. There's not much room left for the, you know, the little guy on yeah. the rugby team. And and they're all bulked up like just 
incredible specimens, you know, poured into these jerseys. Yeah. And you see the hits they put in on each other. It's just a completely different sport to the one I used to play. Yeah. And if if a team, say if the current Ireland team took on the Ireland team of 1984, they would absolutely murder them 100 <laughs> nil. Like, And it, it's not that long ago, but this evolution of players is just extraordinary, you know? Yeah. So, look, footballers, well, I couldn't care less whether Wayne Rooney drinks himself into a stupor every night but I'm certainly not in a position to lecture anyone on their, yeah. their drink because I'm exceptionally fond of a pint myself you know? yeah but there is a bit of a fun taken out I'm just talking about my, say when my son was playing football he gave it up when he was about 12 but uh, there was certainly a, it was very serious and I just think remember when I was playing soccer it was just a load of lads running. Everyone ran after the ball, whatever, you know. But you'd try little flicky things that you saw on TV, mm-hmm. you know. But you couldn't do that now if you're like 10. They'd be like, what are you doing? Get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've often uh, thought I, uh, I wouldn't mind training a team just to see if I'd be any good at it. Uh, mm. But... You know, I don't have kids myself, so I'm not in really in a position to do that. If I had a young lad who was playing, then maybe I could get involved. But, yeah. but uh, I, I, I would... See, if I had a team of, say, 10 or 11-year-olds and I was in charge, I, I would want them to... to play proper football I wouldn't I wouldn't be telling them to get rid of it yeah I'd, I'd, I'd be all wholeheartedly in favour of seeing it but then they would lose all the yeah. time and then the other dads would get angry and but you I'd, know I'd, I'd get a, a vote of confidence and then the sack <laughs> so, you know, the inevitable sacking yeah. after the, but, but that's yeah. if you were in a league I think there's a room for you know when lads of our age or maybe a little bit younger than me or whatever just meet once a week and play a five a side yeah. end or football for I don't know just for the crack and oh, then, yeah, that's well I think there should that sh- there should be room for that for under 10s <laughs> just under 10s who meet every week yeah. and have a game yeah, of football because that's what w- you did when you were a kid yeah well I, like I, I live in Brixton now and I mm. you never I, I remember a couple of weeks ago I was going somewhere and I saw four young lads playing football in the street and mm. I was just thinking I have never seen that before here yeah and like I've lived in the same place for 10 years and it was the first time I'd ever seen yeah. young fellas playing on the street we used to do it every day and there was no uh, time limit on the match the match didn't uh-huh. start at, and it just went on for hours yeah, it and went on people, your dinner was ready yeah, and other people arrived <laughs> yeah or whoever's ball it was got called home for the, the grub yeah but like when I played proper uh, soccer in in Burr like I played for Burr Town under 12s mm. uh, I was full back left back I uh, wasn't allowed. I was not allowed cross the halfway line. Yeah, like, yeah. It during games. If I crossed the halfway line, I got roared at. Glendening, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's it's. Um, yeah, that was extraordinary. You know, there were, there were no overlapping, rampaging full backs in those days. And God knows, I wasn't much used to fending, so I might have been a bit of use, you know, going forward and say, yeah. pinging in crosses. But yeah, that was weird. Not, we weren't allowed to cross the halfway line, any of our back four, which always seemed a bit unfair. Mm. But uh, there you go. But even uh, you, um, Eamon Dunphy made a point recently. I think Man City were playing in. I think it was a Champions League match when the goalkeeper 
you know, gave the ball away and handled it outside the box oh, yeah, in yeah, one yeah, move. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> but uh, Eamon Dunphy said uh, by n- by not uh, kicking it into Rosette, he was disrespecting the game of football. <laughs> 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 what a statement! What a <laughs> disrespecting the game. He's <laughs> showing no respect for the game of football. But, um, Brilliant. Uh, yeah, but it's just that uh, when someone does try something and it doesn't come off, we're so ready to go, what an idiot. Even, you know, even though we might say that's what we want to see. Um, uh, yeah, but the thing you have to remember about football supporters, they're never happy. Very rarely. And yeah. any happiness they so, they they encounter is, is always very fleeting. You know, they love to moan. But, you know, I... I mm. No, who wants to go and watch it? Watching football in England is so expensive now, you know, Premier League football, that the very least you could expect is, you know, to see good players doing exciting things. You mm. know? I don't want to go and watch players doing things I can do. I, I want to go watch players do things I, I could never dream of doing. Yeah. You know, and picking out passes that I haven't even, didn't even see were there and... Uh, yeah, but you know, I'm I'm quite lucky in that I get to watch quite a lot of uh, football for free uh, with my job at the Guardian, and uh, but a lot of it is really awful. And <laughs> I just, mm. Yeah, I, there was one stage there earlier this season. I I remember thinking I just watched about on TV. My I think it was my fifth game in in a week. And every single one of them had been terrible. Yeah. And I was just going like, "What?" Because it, it's it's an hour and a half or two hours of your day. It's a Would lot you go of- and see five play five really mundane plays yeah. in a row? <laughs> you know, if, <laughs> the if you went to see five bad movies in a row, you'd be <laughs> yeah. like very very disappointed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because it is two hours out of your day. It's quite a, a large investment of time. I'm not, you know. Mm. Uh, and if something is absolute rubbish, and then like, that's just me watching on telly, where at least it's, I'm warm and it's you know I've got m- an endless supply of mugs mm. of tea and whatnot. But yeah, people go to these games. <laughs> you know, it's Chris, the, the day we're doing this interview, Crystal Palace have just lost their sixth game in a row. You know, their fans, their hardcore fans, travelled all the way to Swansea. That's mm. a long way to see their team being 5-4, which is a massively entertaining game, but crikey, they must be in bits. And, you know, you, I, I, I applaud. I think there's a fine line between loyalty and total insanity, and mm. some some football supporters do cross it, but, yeah. Um, there's a difference, though, between a, being a fan of a team and, and going to see. You're emotionally involved there, but to actually watch five matches that you're not a fan of either... Team. Yeah, well, I, I just yeah. I'll watch any That's anyone yeah. kicking a ball around. You know, I, I was mm. watching a bit of you know, Rangers against someone or other in the Scottish League yesterday, and then I realised Burnley v Man City was on, so I switched over to that instead. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll probably watch on TV at, at least five, six games a week. Mm. But yeah, this. I increasingly wonder why, because so many of them aren't worth watching. They're they're really poor, and then you get 
people going, you know, if a match is really boring, they'll, they'll try and pretend it's interesting from a tactical point of view. Oh, it's like a chess match. You're going, no, it's mm. just shite. It's all. <laughs> this is the amazing thing about football punditry is most uh, football pundits criticise the game constantly. I mean, can you imagine if there was um, the equivalent of any other thing on TV where afterwards three lads came on and just said that was rubbish (laughs) (laughs) well I heard a good story once I I think they've kind of changed now but there was a time when uh, I think Sky invited John Giles on to to be a pundit yeah one day I think it was maybe Tony Cascarino was telling me the story but anyway um, Mm. I think yeah they invited John Giles on you know years ago it was Charlton against West Brom or something on a Monday night and uh, absolute awful dire spectacle and yeah they went uh, you know well John what, what did you make of that and he just oh, was rubbish terrible game blah 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 waste of everyone's time <laughs> blah 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 and yeah I don't think he was ever invited yeah. back because you know no there's, there's no bad games on Sky John you have to toe the party line you have to find something positive yeah, to say about this it is like now, I mean that could be an apocryphal tale I don't know but it, it sounds about right you know but uh, yeah people people who listen to Football Weekly sometimes accuse me of not liking football and nothing could be further from the truth because I love it and that's why mm. I get upset when mm. games that don't live up to expectation you know mm. so well, it's not really that important it's 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 great though. It's great that you watch all the football and then give out about it and then yeah. just do it all again. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a really absolutely ridiculous way of earning a living, you know. When you yeah. think of all the important work that needs to be done out there, and uh, <laughs> I could be performing life-saving operations or, you know, building aqueducts mm. in some desolate third world. Hmm. Country. It's better that we're all. I just moan about Peter Crouch not being in the Stoke team instead. <laughs> but I suppose we all have to find our little niche in life. Mm. <laughs> oh well, I mean, it's better that we're all playing each other in Europe rather than at war. <laughs> <laughs> playing very boring you, match, changed, football matches. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember when it was all about the gags, man. <laughs> um, well, listen, thanks, Barry. Uh, thanks for chatting. Well, thanks for and having me. Uh, we've covered a wide spectrum: cows, noses. Yeah. Or sorry, cows, noses, not cows and noses. Yeah. Uh, football. My boarding school pass. Revisited it, my unsuccessful college career. Yeah, it was fantastic. It's been great. Hope. Uh, yeah, and we're, we're sitting, as I said, sitting here in someone's office, with uh, and and which we are shortly going to vacate. I think yeah. you have to go and do a gig, doing a somewhere. gig quite soon. Yeah, but thanks for having me on the uh, Talksport uh, radio as well. That was brilliant. That was <laughs> always a pleasure. Any anything to liven up the tired old chat between me and Rushton. <laughs> it's always nice to get some because we get guests on the phone, but they generally tend not to come into the studio. Right. So hopefully your gig at in Camden will be full of people who were sort of oh, what'll I do? Oh I'll go and see that yeah. guy off Father Ted in Camden. Yeah. I hope I hope so. And obviously not Arsenal fans. I forgot the matches on during the gig, but 
Obviously, I'm not a real Arsenal fan. Yeah, you hate Arsenal. You hate football. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Barry. Thanks. Denny, what a wonderful uh, uh, chap he is, nice fella, and uh, very nice of him to uh, hook up with me there when I was in London, and uh, hopefully it won't be quite that many years again till we meet up again. Well, uh, a load of uh, canoeists have just passed me by there, and uh, indeed... Uh, that's what I thought was floating in the in the river uh, was a bit of foam. Well, it's indeed a bit of foam, because I see lots of it now. Churned up, no doubt, or brought down by the canoeists uh, as they made their way through the weir. And there you have it, the uh, uh, report on nature from me, Joe Rooney. Yes, indeed, it was foam in the river. And uh, I'll be uh, heading into uh, Dublin tonight to a, a venue called the Da Club. Conveniently called the Da Club because I'll be doing a, a show to commemorate Dadaism, that surrealist movement which originated in Germany, I believe. And uh, uh, I will be performing, but not as. I would normally perform so because it's mm, kind of burlesque or surreal acts on and I don't know what I'm going to well I do know what I'm going to do but how it's going to go I do not know I'm going to do a a poem with a bit of music music that I'm going to take from that my son has written and recorded and put up on SoundCloud I'm going to use that bit of music called Softy and uh, I'm going to read a a kind of a poem called God's Vagina. <laughs> yes. And, um, uh, yeah, sure, I'll be doing that. For, uh, I suppose kind of, uh, you know, think kind of pressure off because I don't have to get a laugh, but pressure on because I could end up. <laughs> yeah, whatever. It's surrealism. Um, maybe there should be a fish involved. You always think of surrealism, fish, don't you? What, what, uh, how many surrealists does it take to change a light bulb? Fish. Isn't that the joke? Oh, look, Rosie's gone out. Rosie, come back! Rosie! Rosie! Come here! Come here! Oh, sorry, I had to do that because if Rosie gets a scent, she may never come back. I often end up having to traipse through many fields to get her back. Because um, she'll find the scent of a pheasant or a duck or something. Because she's a cocker spaniel, and that's what they do. But I have got her back. I've got her in time, because there can come a point... Come on, this way, this way! There come a point where uh, the smell overpowers every other sense, and she doesn't hear anything. So... Um, I'm sure you'll be glad to know I've got Rosie back. Yeah, come on, Rosie, you bloody fucking... So, uh, yeah, well, next week I'll put out the uh, I'll put out the uh, interview I did with Colin Mockery. I've been... And listen to this. Come here. Listen to these savages. Come on.
Yes, that's the kind of animal I'm dealing with here. Uh, thanks for subscribing. Give me a five star. Uh, give me five stars on iTunes because that helps me to uh, make my um, put my uh, podcast further up the uh, charts uh, or get into the charts and uh, and uh, get, get me at uh, Twitter at Joe Rooney One. Get me on my website www.joerooneycomedian.com You can get me on f- Facebook, I think. Facebook, follow me, yeah. And uh, get, send me, uh, uh, drop me a line there on the Twitter, Malarkey. So, and if you have any suggestions for people you want me to interview, then please do drop me a line and tell me. I'm looking for Cahal Coughlin, if anyone can find him. He used to be with Micro Disney, and I'd love to interview him. I don't know how to get him. Doesn't have a. Couldn't find him. Listen to this. <laughs> Amazing. And, uh, oh yeah, well, uh, thanks for uh, doing the thing. And uh, I'll see you next week. Goodbye.
Other banks go out of their way to make redeeming credit card rewards needlessly complicated, like how they require minimums or force you to use your rewards before reaching some arbitrary expiration date. But Discover isn't like that. With Discover, you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount, at any time. So you'll never have to jump through hoops. Unless you're like a trapezist, then by all means, go right ahead. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms apply.